Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Admiral Charles Richard, who has the United States Strategic Command, sounded a relatively new alarm the other week. He warned that the entire structure of global stability, which rests on nuclear deterrence between the U.S. and Russia, could be undermined by the emergence of China as America's peer. Of course, the view from Beijing is quite different, an economic powerhouse wishing to fulfill its potential by moving west through its road and belt initiative. Without judging which of these perspectives is more to the point, can there be a meeting of the minds on these issues? To further analyze this topic, we're joined from elsewhere here in Jerusalem by Colonel and Reserve Reuven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from elsewhere in Israel, in central Israel to be exact, is Alexander Pevsner, who is a researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies and a lecturer at IDC in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Good to be with you. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Ogan. Amir, give us a little bit of insight with regard to this topic. Of course, we discussed great power competition in multiple productions, but this time we're coming from a different angle. China looking westward, trying to put its own footprint throughout the Middle East, North Africa, Europe, and elsewhere. Give us a little bit of insight were things standing at this stage? So without going uh, too much uh, into history, after having the, uh, made the mistake of uh, looking at what they uh, called the Sino-Soviet bloc, which wasn't really a bloc, each country has its own interests, the Americans uh, chose another path uh, under Nixon and Kissinger, and that is uh, what they called the triangulation. There, there was um, a sort of a triangle with the United States moving closer to China in order to balance out Russia or the Soviet Union. But 30 years after the uh, Cold War was ostensibly won by the West, it turns out that China may be the real victor in this race because while uh, the United States always saw Russia with its thousands of nuclear weapons as uh, its uh, most threatening peer competitor, it doesn't have any agreement at all with China. And China has its own way to advance its interests, especially under a very able leader like Xi Jinping, who has been in power for most of the last decade and is not going uh, to let go anytime soon. And therefore, the Americans, uh, when they look to 2030 and 2040, see a conflict between themselves and China because, as they say, Russia is punching above its weight. It sounds more threatening than it really is. Its economy is not up to par, but with China, uh, which is steadily on the rise, they see themselves on a collision course. Indeed, uh, of course, a collision course that emanates from great power competition, but uh, their rules-based world order, if you will, something that is referred to quite uh, often, uh, is being 
breached from America's perspective by China, which uh, seemingly seems to uh, deny all allegations pertaining to this and uh, uh, alleges the same towards the United States. Of course, each side has its own camp uh, that agrees with it. But I'd like to ask Colonel Ben Shalom, to what degree is this turning from a economic competition to a uh, military competition uh, when we're seeing that the United States remains, uh, when we're talking in terms of strong power, the most uh, uh, decisive uh, power, uh, at least from a global perspective, uh, as opposed to China, the United States stands at approximately 780 to 800 billion uh, U.S. dollars investment in its military, as opposed to about 246. Of course, the, the numbers vary at the different perspectives, of course. But uh, what can you tell us about that? And is this something that should raise the alarm at this stage? The interesting thing here, I think, is that uh, there's nothing new. I've been hearing from my American counterparts for the last two decades concerns about their future dogfights with uh, Chinese pilots. What may have sounded many times to our ears, you know, as being a bit paranoid. The, for, for them is a real threat, emerging threat for many, many years. I don't think we're at the stage we can discuss at all some kind of a physical confrontation, but there is no doubt that the capabilities are being built. We can't deny it. The Chinese military is, is, is rising, it's building their force, and they're soon to be, uh, the, even the fact that we're discussing parity with the US military at a certain point in the near future, that's incredible. So, of course, we can ask, why do they need all this? Why are they investing so much in intercontinental ballistic missiles, submarines that are able to, to launch strategic missiles, uh, and you know, a whole range of strategic capabilities? Well, you could ask, why does America need it? Because America is a global power. The Chinese see themselves as a global power, but not necessarily something that they're building for a future confrontation. Of course, they won't say that they're doing that. They'll, they'll, they'll preach the contrary, that they're build, building themselves to be a world economic power, seeking in a world harmony uh, and a better world for everyone. But you can understand the American concern. The world has changed. It's no longer a bipolar situation with the Russians. The Chinese are now a player to be, uh, to be addressed, and rightfully so, a serious concern for the United States. But again, for your question, certainly not in the near future. The issue now is interests resources, dominance, politics. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Uh, Pevsner, to what degree when uh, uh, the Biden administration just assumed office, uh, we saw the meeting between Secretary of State Antony Blinken and his Chinese counterpart Wang Yi, uh, who had uh, quite a, a uh, tense conversation from what was said following that meeting uh, with regard to uh, the fact that uh, the Chinese top diplomat came out and just said, we're your peers, we see you in the same level, and uh, there is no American global dominance anymore as was in the past. How do you see this now being translated to the ground? Is China truly moving westwards? Is it trying to uh, assert its dominance not necessarily by strong power at this stage, but by uh, economic power, by soft power, by uh, intelligence gathering and such? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, agree with Rovan that there's uh, not much uh, new 
uh, in terms of uh, China's intentions. If you look 30 years back, you know, China wanted to take what they see as its rightful place uh, in the world. What has changed is capabilities. And, you know, to talk of China as marching westwards, it's a little bit uh, anachronistic. It's it's already there. It's already in the West. It's already everywhere. I mean, think about it. You don't become the world's second largest economy uh, without trading with everyone. So, you know, people talk about Chinese presence in the Middle East, for example, which is considerable. But for now, it's limited mostly to uh, economy, uh, trade, and uh, diplomatic presence. And we have seen in the the past one and a half years, you know, the corona pandemic, uh, we have seen uh, an intensification of China's diplomacy uh, around the pandemic, uh, you know, vaccine diplomacy, etc. But for example, uh, China trades with South America, with Latin America, the U.S. backyard, more then it trades with the entire, with Africa or the Middle East. So China is already a global power. And, you know, the unipolar moment is over. That's true. You know, uh, scholars argue when, where exactly to, you know, put to the date when the unipolar uh, moment uh, was ended. Maybe the financial crisis, 2008, maybe a little bit earlier. But uh, for sure, China, and you mentioned the, uh, meeting in Anchorage, Alaska, which was very um, uh, loud, if you can call it this way. Uh, you know, uh, China's top diplomat, uh, Yang Jiechi, told the Americans, you know, you cannot condescend to us. You cannot uh, speak to us as if you're more powerful than us. And if uh, in the past China has tried to sort of hide its ambitions, now it's not shy about saying, you know, uh, what the U.S. is call, is calling the rules-based order is something that is good for the U.S., not necessarily we're going to accept it. Indeed. Well, Mr. Olin, uh, of course, when we're talking about pivoting somewhere, it is a military term and it is something that uh, is uh, used predominantly by the United States with its pivot eastward. Uh, a German general told me just recently, of course, that uh, uh, even the pacifistic Germany has sent a frigate to the South China Sea, something that indicates that uh, countries are seemingly mobilizing and choosing sides. Is this also the case in the Middle East? Do we see each country choosing sides? Of course, Israel uh, is... Uh, predominantly siding with the United States, but at the same time, it has plenty of uh, business with uh, China that uh, frustrates uh, Washington time and again. What, what can you tell us about that? And Israel has to de-conflict with the Russians in Syria. Indeed. Um, and uh, when uh, Israeli-owned uh, Liberian-flagged ships uh, go to the Indian Ocean and are attacked by an Iranian uh, missile or drone, Israel has to coordinate with many other uh, countries. Yes, the, the uh, Chinese investment in Israeli infrastructure, especially in ports, in communications, in transport, the uh, metro system of Tel Aviv is going uh, to be operated from China all the data is going uh, to be held by the Chinese. Uh, of course, it uh, was published the other day that uh, the Chinese or some Chinese, because whatever you have in China must be under the ownership of the Chinese Communist Party, that they already gathered 
um, data on 80% of all Americans. The next 20% uh, will be in line shortly. There is this Chinese demon that is being uh, put up. Um, but up to now, it has been mostly commercial. Um, an Israeli delegation of, of uh, trade and investment people a few years ago went to uh, East Africa, to uh, Nairobi and uh, to Kigali, Rwanda, and uh, Addis Ababa and other places. And everywhere they went, they heard, thank you for coming. The Chinese were here first. And for instance, uh, bought all of Kenya's fishing market for several years. You can't put your foot in the door. The door is owned by China. Now, uh, Alexander mentioned uh, Latin America. And uh, what we see in the South China Sea is comparable to the Monroe Doctrine that the Americans thought they had in their so-called backyard. And indeed, there is no um, Latin American military invasion. Uh, when the um, uh, Soviets helped Cuba, the Americans responded. But they have nothing to balance the Chinese commercial invasion. Why am I mentioning the Monroe Doctrine? Because apparently what the Chinese want to put up is a sort of their own doctrine in the South China Sea. They want to remind the world that yes, there are many other countries there with uh, economic zones, with other territorial claims, but nevertheless, it is not for nothing that it is called the South China Sea. This is there, even if it's a thousand kilometers or a thousand miles from the mainland. And even if the islands are actually artificial and not necessarily natural. This is because the Americans did not get the hint that they don't have to go there. And we have all of these um, sea lines of communications and law of the sea problem. So yes, the, the problem is going to be more and more maritime, more and more task forces sent by the Seventh Fleet on the one hand and the Chinese. The Middle East is not going to be the flashpoint. And of course, the military buildup of China is predominantly now focused on its maritime domain. Uh, and I'd like to ask you, Colonel Ben Shalom, when we see a naval base on the eastern shoreline of Africa, of the continent of Africa, uh, something that is rapidly growing into something quite significant, allowing the Chinese to maneuver in the areas not far from the Red Sea, from the Persian Gulf, from various strategic ports that have more than a third of the oil transit, uh, of the global oil transit, and uh, of course means a lot for the West, not only for the East. How do you see this counterbalance taking place in order to somehow balance uh, the situation between East and West, namely between China and its counterparts to the United States, Europe, and their counterparts? Well, of course, they're putting a seaport there because that's what a global power does. And, and it's not a coincidence that they're there, as you said, near the Suez Canal, uh, strategically thinking that's the wise thing to do. And I think this is only one small footprint and maybe a test to what we're going to see in the future. Because remember, for many years, China did not have a significant military footprint around the world. In recent, uh, the recent decade, have been doing a lot of peacekeeping forces, uh, a very positive uh, aspect for them. 
But more and more, we see these uh, these military footprints on the ground, like in Djibouti and other places. Um, I think it's a mistake to look at this militarily. Uh, we have a tendency here, maybe in Israel, also to look at that aspect. Also, remember, with all due respect, our small size, we have to be very modest. We're talking about these global powers from a perspective of a tiny state. And also relating to your previous question about who aligns with who. I think I said many times around the show, let's be more Chinese. The Chinese align with no one, remember. They're friends with everybody. They partner with everybody. They just go around the world and they realize their interests uh, regionally, uh, understanding the complexities of the region. Each region has, by the way, totally different interests. What they do in Africa and what they do in Central Asia is totally different. It's also a mistake to, to say that it's the Belt and Road Initiative. They want resources, so they're going and snatching up the resources. It's much more complicated than that. I would even argue that most of what they do in Africa is not that economic. For China, I think Africa is negligible as far as what they do economically. Of course, there are resources there, but it's also much more the political stage, the support of the African countries. And we must say this also that the Chinese have dignity and they have respect. And it's not all just a matter of resources and calculated interests. They're not robots. They are a proud people with a 5,000 year history. And after the century of humiliation, as they call it, they are now trying to bring back some of the dignity that they feel that they have lost. So I think this all plays into the big picture. And in this discussion, at least for me, it's gonna be much respect for the Chinese, even though as we say in Hebrew, you always have to respect, but also be wary and be calculated, but certainly much respect to the Chinese people. And with that, uh, citing your previous statements, Colonel uh, Ben Shalom, when you always speak with your Chinese counterparts, they, you always also remind them that even though your friendship and uh, cooperation with China is very significant and very important for Israel, nonetheless, the the weight of the United States in this equation is quite more significant. Absolutely. We're aligned with the United States strategically. That's uh, a decision made long ago. It's natural. It's ongoing. It's ironclad, as the Americans say. And that's also moving forward. That's going to continue to dominate what we can and cannot do. For instance, the Chinese interests in Israel are certainly our innovation, our technology, our military technologies, cyber warfare and stuff like that. Can we do partnerships with the Chinese on many of these issues? Of course not. Uh, the, 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 I'm not even going to get into the question of why not each and every one, but it's very easy. You go to the American calculation, what they dictate to us of what we can and cannot do, and we have to humbly say, yes, we abide by the U.S. interests and concerns in these matters. Mr. Pevsner, to what degree does China um, put its chips in areas of instability, considering the fact that this region is not uh, a region known for its uh, uh, capacity to stay stable for a very long time? Uh, with that being said, Israel is an island of stability within this tumultuous. Uh, region. Uh, and at the same time, we see China increasingly investing in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in uh, Egypt, its keen interest to integrate much uh, further, of course, having a staging ground for the uh, production of its uh, own vaccine. And uh, we see this also being done in multiple other countries in the region. Is this a sign of a change from Beijing's perspective? Um, 
No, I think uh, China is continuing its own uh, strategy towards uh, the Middle East as it, uh, similar to uh, other regions. And I uh, absolutely agree with uh, Colonel Bel Shalom. It's not um, military. The competition between US and China, uh, you can say the competition in the 21st century is economy and technology. Okay, the, the Chinese are smart enough not to waste $800 billion on uh, defense budget. They're not going to do that. They're not going to match uh, US uh, tank for tank. They don't need it. There's only one area where the Chinese have uh, sort of outleaped uh, the US, and that's in terms of uh, military um, um, uh, vessels, ships in the South China Sea, because they, they want to you know, push the US outside of the Asia Pacific. And so um, not in terms of tonnage, of course, the US has uh, 11 uh, aircraft carriers, uh, China has two, but in terms of overall number of ships, uh, the Chinese now have more. But, you know, apart from that, uh, what the Chinese trying to do is economy and technology, innovation in Israel, uh, trade, you know, energy uh, with the Arab world, uh, also in Africa. And, uh, you know, in Africa, it's 54 uh, countries. That's 54 votes for China in the UN. And, you know, you could say, well, 20 years ago, maybe it was theoretical. We, we have seen in the past year how it uh, being uh, sort of turned into practice when the US uh, called on its allies, the Western, the, 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 the rich West or Western Europe countries, for example, to put out statements uh, criticizing China over treatment of Uyghurs in the United Nations uh, Human Rights Council, for example. The last one uh, was even uh, uh, Israel even joined the last statement. You see even more countries from what is, you know, used to be called the non-aligned world or the third world. Now people call it the global south. You see even more countries from the global south joining in counter statements supporting China's uh, message. Now you can see you know, some people say, you, you hear this in Washington, uh, China just uh, scares, uh, you know, bullies countries to support China. That's not true. Some of these countries, especially in Africa, especially in the Middle East, they see real benefits from economic uh, cooperation with China. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, buster and uh, bluff. Not black and white, Mr. Owen? Well, the Chinese uh, have um, quite an asset in their form of government, and the fact that the Chinese Communist Party has managed to um, rule China with its billion point five uh, population with a very steady hand, at least for the uh, last several years. Um, only between Deng Xiaoping and now uh, Xi Jinping, there were several weak leaders, but uh, the uh, party has stabilized its rule you don't see any uh, real opposition. Um, and uh, if, if you go to the West, you see the uh, US government uh, being paralyzed uh, between Democrats and Republicans, Obama, Trump, uh, Biden, you see the British, you see the Germans, you see the French. Obviously, this gives the Chinese uh, quite a card in the uh, global game. Beyond that, you stated earlier about the Chinese-Russian cooperation, that in the past it was misinterpreted. However, now we see an increase of joint maneuvers by the Chinese military, the Russian military, uh, the interoperability and the cooperation uh, and the access that the Russians receive 
within the Chinese military is unprecedented, according to all intelligence reports, all uh, public statements, for, for that matter, that uh, were put out. Uh, everybody was surprised by this growing partnership between those two militaries, of course, with Russian military uh, being limited to the economy, uh, which is as sizable as the economy of Italy, for that matter, uh, which is not a small economy, but nonetheless, 60 uh, billion is uh, or trillion is not necessarily uh, what you would expect from a country like Russia, as opposed to China, which, of course, is quite the significant economic power and can then also maneuver that way in order to bolster its allies and partners. Well, there are no uh, permanent allies, only permanent interests, of course. Uh, the Soviet Union... Uh, before Russia gained its independence, uh, had friction with China. We remember the uh, incidents along the Amur in the uh, late uh, 1960s. And the Chinese are not going to play second fiddle to Russia. Yes, cooperation uh, as far and as much as it befits their interests, but if um, they are going to be the two of them against the United States, it is only if China is top dog. We're drawing near to the end of the program there right now on the two-minute mark. I'd like to hear uh, from both of our distinguished guests. Where are we heading from here? Colonel Ben Shalom, we'll start with you. What should we also focus on? I think for following from what you just discussed right now of Russia and China, remember in the beginning there was pushback from Russia because Chinese were intervening in their backyard. Now all of a sudden there are these great friends. I think the lesson for us is that the dynamics and the tensions continue to change, interests change, and so things could change course totally. Like the pushback we see from all the, uh, the five major countries in Central Asia for the Chinese involvement, even uprising in the population, things here in the Middle East could change. So we can never think we're on one course, things could change within several years. Indeed, Mr. Pevzno, about 30 seconds. Uh, you see the continuation of U.S. strategy towards China from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. Um, you know, tariffs are still in place, uh, visa limits are still in place, but Biden administration added the multilateral aspect. In other words, they're working with NATO, with the G7, with Western Europe, with allies to sort of try to change China's behavior. Uh, I think it would be very interesting down the road to see if China indeed changes its behavior. I'm a little bit skeptical. Mr. Owen, closing sentence. It is indisputable that the East is red, as the Chinese uh, would have it. The question is, are they going to redden the West too? Well, uh, time will tell, and uh, we will keep observing the situation. Uh, but I'd like to thank Colonel Ben Shalom and Mr. Pevznil for being part of today's panel, as well as Mr. Oren, as usual, and to our guests, thank you for being part of today's panel, watching us, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.